Hey, thanks for checking out this week's episode. Real quick, we do talk about Star Wars Episode Nine for about the first 15 minutes of this show, and there are some spoilers, so if you don't want to hear those, just skip ahead a little bit. All right. You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome again to Disney One by One. This week we're talking about Moana from 2016. And remember, you can find the show everywhere on the internet at Disney One X One. If you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, you're running out of time. Please do that. And of course, now that Disney, I almost call it Disney One by One, now that Disney Plus is out, you can find pretty much every one of these movies on this list on Disney Plus. So feel free to go into our back catalog of episodes, watch the old movies, listen along, and, and discover some, some old episodes of Disney One by One. With that, I'll bring in my co-host and my brother, David Rolfing. David, welcome back to Disney One by One. Hey, Mike. The final three. Ooh, <laughs> so excited. It's the final countdown. And sad, bittersweet, but it's... I don't know. It's really cool that we did it. Almost. I guess well, we can, almost, we can yeah. reflect on the last episode on Frozen 2, which is it's currently in theaters. I haven't seen it yet, so I need to, I need to get on that before Neither it's, before, have be, I. before it's in purgatory between theaters and home video. And before there's like one showing a day. So, and, and joining us to talk Moana this week, you heard him way back on our Home on the Range episode. And I don't know if it was your number one, but it was definitely in your top five. Moana, Garrett Henry, welcome back to Disney One by One. Aloha. Thanks for having me back. Was this your favorite? Yes, this is this is in terms of like my and my family, my kids' favorite. Moana's up there. Um, okay. I think my number one was though uh, Great Mouse Detective. Like, I remember that yeah, I think that was my number one. And I'll just I'll say this as I did last episode. I grew up with Garrett calling him Tom. So if you hear me say Tom, I'm I'm really meaning Garrett. I will try to say Garrett. I go I go by go. both. <laughs> stage name high school name <laughs> that's that that's uh that's the caveat here all right so garrett uh we have yet to on this show because we recorded a bunch of the most recent ones way before christmas um we've yet to talk about star wars and david as well i'd love to get uh first tom your quick one or two sentence recap on star wars episode nine. Ooh, on episode nine itself yes i'd say it was enjoyable i think it was a smooth wrap-up i had I don't I wouldn't say issues throughout the series, but I definitely thought this was like a smooth finish. I was happy with it. I was pleased. I don't need to look back and kind of get nitpicky. Didn't make me feel that way. Didn't make me feel like I needed to regret some of the stuff that I didn't like earlier on. All right. We can we can dive in a little deeper in a moment. David, what's your quick reaction on Disney's Lucasfilm Star Wars Episode nine? Disney had a lot to work with and I felt like they could have done a lot better with the trilogy as a whole. Overall, I like it. I feel like episode eight kind of ruined a lot of things and the continuity between the episodes just isn't there. You can tell that they wrote them individually, which is not good for a trilogy. Um, I feel like JJ did what he could with episode nine and made a fun movie with a Fairly satisfying conclusion to the Skywalker saga, assuming they won't make more Skywalker movies, who knows, but I, I enjoyed the movie way more than episode eight. It was really fun, some cool new like force lore in there and expanding the universe a little bit. So yeah, I liked it. I, I've seen it twice. I'll probably see it a third time in theaters before it's gone forever. My initial reaction was... Wow, I had a lot. I have a lot more questions now than I had before. Right, <laughs> right. And and two was 
wow, they really threw episode eight out the window. <laughs> 98, 90% of that doesn't matter anymore. Yep. But episode eight <laughs> threw episode seven out the window. <laughs> that is not an accurate statement. <laughs> well, and, okay. David, give us an example of, give us one, one plot example of what you're talking about there then. Uh, killing yeah. off Snoke and calling Ray a nobody and okay, killing off Luke. I, I don't Spoilers. think there's an issue with any of those things. Whether you like the decisions or not, there's no issue with it. It doesn't ruin anything like from like a, what's the right word? Like a viewer's perspective? Yes. Or like from like a making sense perspective. I don't know. I don't have an issue with any of those things. I personally, when I was watching it. I think it, it when you look at it in terms of a trilogy and maybe how it was written, that's where you can see, okay, yeah, that was clearly written individually. That wasn't written simpatico with like what came before and what was going to come after. That's when you can that's when you get a glaring perspective of like the behind the scenes stuff, I think. Yeah. yeah. And 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 whether you like it or not, the whole point of episode eight was and really there's nods to it in seven. Yeah. Uh, is the force is awakening and it's becoming part of more people than just people who are related to the to the special people. Episode eight ends, whether you like it or not, it ends with the little boy pulling the broom to himself. Right. Ray is told she's a no one. Finn can wield the lightsaber way better than even Han Solo could right. in, in Empire. I mean, all, these are all things that episode seven set up, though. Right. No, no, I'm talking about eight. And the force awakening, the name of the movie. Right, I'm expanding on right. this. I'm talking about Broom Boy, the end of it. <laughs> yeah, Broom Boy. And Ray being told she's a nobody, all are leading to the fact that the Force, you know, yeah, it's a bigger thing than just this one family, or two, two families, I guess it becomes. Not just uh, like hitting the heroes. like it's. Yeah, and I and, and I won't, if you haven't seen it yet, I won't say who Ray's related to specifically, but yeah, <laughs> she's definitely not a nobody, and I think right. that ruined the whole trajectory of the trilogy. It it absolutely. I felt like that was a big thing when like what well, Kylo Ren kind of is dropping that and yeah, they, they do reverse that. I guess you could say. And it was like I, I pers- This is a personal thing. I am adopted. So like having that like storyline of where you come from. That's a that was a big thing for me. I thought like I was interested in that. So the fact that she was a nobody kind of was awesome. Like that was a. I was like, oh, I hope they leave it at that. And that's the end of that. And in episode nine, we don't touch on that anymore. So that was a little upsetting in nine when it was like a, okay, this is going to be part of the story. And as you said, it wasn't like they rewrote it because maybe that was part of the trajectory they wanted that to take. You to kind of have a little pause with that. And the person that returns was blown into molecules, (laughs) blown into complete smithereens twice. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it. I, me and my dad had a point in the theater where we kind of looked at each other and I had, I had, it, yeah, it was something I kind of called back in seven where I was like, I bet this person's still around jokingly. And it was like, Oh, Oh, okay. You guys really did that. Well, that's not a spoiler because that's not a spoiler because he's in the trailer. So yeah, Palpatine, Palpatine was thrown down a pit. He then exploded at the bottom of the pit and then the entire Death Star exploded into tiny little pieces and that somehow put himself back together and landed on a planet. Now I'm going to, I'm going to selfishly take recording time here and just gain some information from myself, from you guys is, is the actor, <laughs> is the actor who plays Palpatine living? Was that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Same okay. guy. So that was the guy. Yeah. Cool. Yep. I didn't know if that, which was... is cool. I mean, no matter what, he's great. And I know, I know they <laughs> used the actual like stock footage of Leia and all that, but then I thought it was interesting because, you know, they didn't choose to recreate her for any of the scenes, except when they did, do another younger version of her it's not like you know the same thing but yeah it was like i was like oh so they they did do that though. 
They used footage that they had left over from episode seven. How did you enjoy the incorporation of that? I thought it was, uh, I, I, I dealt with it, I guess you could say. <laughs> I, I would say, I would put it about the same way. <laughs> she just kind of stands there awkwardly. I think they did what they could and it, it didn't feel that weird. And if you don't know that the actress is dead, I don't feel like sure. most people would even notice. So that no, was a good true. thing. Visually, I think it looked fine. It was more of the, uh, yeah, the, the how did the scene carry itself? How did the actors interacting with each other? It was, yeah. I dealt with it, yeah. I would say. <laughs> yeah. But I liked it. And I mean, the, I'm glad she was in it, too. I don't, you don't not want her in it. Well, one of the biggest issues was, I think it was supposed to kind of be her movie right. all along. Right. And then she died. So right. that doesn't, that doesn't help their cause, obviously. The one thing I'll say, I may have even said this on this show before. One of the things that happens a lot in movie franchises and trilogies and series is they always start really small. Yeah. And they just have to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the prime example is Pirates of the Caribbean. I think the Curse of the Black, the Curse of the Black Pearl, like the first one. <laughs> I don't remember precisely, but I'm pretty sure it ends with like a sword fight between two or three people. Maybe, maybe 10 people. And by the time you get to like the fourth one, third or fourth one, there's like 18 pirate ships in a whirlpool with like <laughs> squid monsters and all this stuff. And like it becomes so ridiculous and so like they're trying to make it so grand and cool that you just lose it loses its personal touch yes yes instead of will will smith whatever his name not will smith what's the name <laughs> of, of orlando bloom name will uh what's his character's name whatever oh, please give me give me will smith and pirates of the caribbean instead of please. will smith versus <laughs> jack sparrow uh what's his name i don't, I don't know. remember instead of orlando bloom versus johnny depp it's like you know hundreds of pirates and you know what and it just doesn't i don't care anymore it's the same with those avengers movies i think the second avengers when they're like lifting that city up into the air and there's just like thousands of robots and you just don't care anymore and they do the same thing in this it's I like do, i do see that how, yeah it's like all right how about how about 150 star destroyers that all that all have planet killing weapons on the bottom my mind, and then my mind went eventually like the second that happened i'm like oh wow so they have that those are they have people employed on all of those ships. Like, yeah, like not only wrong. not only is these a secret Death Star or like secret Star Destroyers, but you got all these people secretly with jobs on all of these Star Destroyers. And then, all right, how are we going to defeat these? We're going to bring in nineteen thousand spaceships. <laughs> it's more than that. That's like uh, a million. <laughs> it was the galaxy's worth, man, and it was all their friends everybody's good just, pals <laughs> at that point i mean yes there's the one-on-one -on -one with kylo and palpatine and and ray and whatever but like I, at that point there's just so much going on i don't care they all had a unison hyperspeed too or hyperspeed yeah, worked out so right. that they could all get right. there at the same time which is why the movie which i really like the han solo movie is refreshing because yeah. that that literally ends with like a gun fight in someone's office yeah yeah <laughs> And you can see people's faces and you know what's going on. And like, it all makes sense. So I, and I, just... and I enjoyed, um, sorry, what was the first spinoff movie? Rogue One. Rogue One. I really enjoyed Rogue One. Yeah, Personally, I, th I just loved that. I didn't, I loved the tie-in. I loved the characters. I loved the plot. I loved everything about it. I was crazy about it. And then the Han Solo one, I was, I just, again, enjoyed. The thing that I feel about when they do all these big universe things now, and there's so much extra clutter around and i mean like i'm into video games too so i mean there's a big video game that just came in that's in the star wars universe that introduces stuff that's not really relevant to the main plot but then it kind of is like it's the same universe they're building on so see but for the can people that just follow the canon 
like I enjoyed the main plot, the main characters. I could follow that stuff, but then I also felt like there was some other side lore I couldn't. Yeah, that is a big issue with the new trilogy. It's like they bring back the First Order as the Second Empire, but you don't learn anything about the planets that they destroy in Episode Seven. Like, what's the what are the effects of that? We don't know. We don't care. We we only care about the rebels versus the Empire again, and there's no further connection to the universe, at least in the. Uh, the prequels they get into politics a little bit of the universe and you know they get too much into politics but you learn more about the world and this trilogy just has no weight between the first order and the rebels because you don't really know why it matters so that's a (laughs) problem with all three of the movies and none of them do a good job the only i think scenes where they explain a little bit is like in episode eight on canto bite when they're talking about the military like industrial complex and the rich people funding the wars and stuff, but they don't do anything they don't with that. Back to that. And yeah. Finn's like, oh, I'm never going to fight war again. And then Finn just goes back to fighting war. So, <laughs> but Mike, I know we have differing opinions on episodes eight and nine, and we look for different things in Star Wars movies as we've discussed in our group text with my friends. So I, I could talk yeah. about this for an hour, but we should talk about yeah. Moana. Well, I'll say if you're into Star Wars or if you generally like Star Wars, I highly recommend The Mandalorian yeah. show on Disney+. Plus. David hasn't finished it, so we won't talk about it. But that's what's... I mean, talk about just calming down. <laughs> There's whole episodes that are so like in one, lo- in one location. And it's it's very refreshing. Yep. Especially after the mess of 7, 8, and 9. I look forward to it. I mean, I, I, I got the Disney Plus, so it's something I've been saving, waiting for a good yep. day. Yep. They're 30 minutes, too. It's very consumable in small chunks. But David still doesn't finish it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so with that, we'll move on to Moana. And now, our feature presentation. For generations, this peaceful island has been home to our family. But beyond our reef, a great danger is coming. Legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod Maui. And together, they will save us all. Moana tells the story of Moana, the strong-willed daughter of a chief of a Polynesian village who is chosen by the ocean itself to reunite a mystical relic with the goddess Tafiti. When a blight strikes her island, Moana sets sail in search of Maui, a legendary demigod, in the hope of returning the relic to Tafiti and saving her people. So after they did Princess and the Frog, Ron Clements and John Musker, who are also, what else do they do? Little Mermaid, Grey Mouse Detective, etc., etc. They pitched three original ideas to the folks at Disney, and one of them was based on Polynesian mythology that Musker was reading up on, specifically the demigod of Maui. He thought it'd be a great animated film, and so they pitched the idea to John Lasseter, who suggested they go on a research trip. So in 2012, a handful of guys ventured to Fiji and Samoa and Tahiti to see what this world could could do for an animated film. They originally wanted to make the movie just about Maui, but their trips inspired them to pitch a new idea about the daughter of a chief. They decided to set the film about 2,000 years ago on a fictional island in the Pacific Ocean, which drew inspiration from elements of the real-life island nations of Fiji, Samoa, and Tonga. So that's the history of of uh, where this idea came from. I got to correct myself then because yeah. I started the podcast saying aloha because I was getting Hawaiian stuff. But I'm, I must say if it's Fijian, bula bula. 
Okay, there you go. That is their their <laughs> greeting, and I believe that's nice. hello, goodbye in Fijian. Bula, bula. A number of the cast members are from Hawaii. There are also quite a few from New Zealand and other other island cultures. I so. assumed it was Hawaii too because his name is Maui. Oh, I didn't even put. Yeah. That there. yeah. Well, that island's probably named after the old, Poly- you know, the ancient yeah. Polynesian god. Probably. But anyway, I, mean, I just wanted to correct myself because yeah, and I know both languages. I know how to say hello in both. So there you go. <laughs> The original screenplay was written by Taika Waititi, who is now a very famous director. He he did the final episode of Mandalorian, and he's also the voice of the IG droid in Mandalorian. But he also he just uh, did Jojo Rabbit, which is uh, in awards consideration this year. He directed what else? Hunt for the Wilder People. He did Fly the Concord stuff. Anyway, big name Taika Waititi. He directed Thor, the, the second Thor, third Thor. How many Thor movies are there? Three, Two? right? Three. He did the he did Ragnarok, third one. Oh, he did Ragnarok. Yeah, interesting. And and what we do in the shadows? Have you seen that? The, the yeah, uh, yeah, vampire mockumentary. He's great. Yeah, I forgot he did that too. So he wrote the initial screenplay, but apparently not much that he wrote was actually left in the movie. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> a guy named Jared Bush received sole credit as the writer of the screenplay. He wrote Zootopia and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, so in one hand and then in the other. <laughs> yeah. There were several major story problems identified in 2015. And since Clements and Musker were already working 12-hour days directing such a large team of animators, they brought on Don Hall and Chris Williams, who had just finished directing Big Hero 6, to come on board and, and co-direct different scenes of this movie and help fix some story issues. The cast of this movie, first off, Moana is played by Auli Cravalo. I tried to practice that. Auli Cravalo. She was an unknown. They auditioned hundreds of candidates from around the world, from her, from across the Pacific. And she was a 14-year-old when she auditioned. Oh, wow. And she was cast as the lead character of Moana. She is a native Hawaiian. There you go. Then there's, uh, obviously, Dwayne Johnson plays Maui the Rock. He is Samoan. Uh, the grandma, Tala, is played by Rachel House, who's Ma- Maori. Maori, that's her heritage. Then there's uh, the dad, Tui, is played by Tamora Morrison, who's also uh, probably most famous for playing Django Fett <laughs> in the Star Wars movies. Um, there's a tie. And then, yeah, there's there's our connection yeah. to the first 15 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> Jermaine Clement, famous for also Fly to the Concords, plays Tamatoa, the crab. Uh, Nicole Scherzinger, who's also Hawaiian, plays the mom, Cena, And then Alan Tudyk, who is quite white and quite American, plays Hey Hey the Chicken. <laughs> and Alan Tudyk seems to be appearing in every single one of these recent movies. He's he's our he's our new Jim Cummings. He's our new Sterling Holloway. Also Star Wars actor. Yeah, he's K2SO in the solo movie. No, in Rogue One. Oh, interesting. And he's King Candy in Wreck-It Ralph, and he's the Google, or he's the search engine character in Wreck-It Ralph 2. He's everywhere. Did the pig not get any voice credit? I couldn't, I didn't see that. I don't think he was in there enough. Maybe it was Vin Diesel. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So so Moana is Clements and Musker's first fully computer animated film. They toyed with the idea of making it hand-drawn, but there were things like the ocean and sand and things that were way easier to do in computers. But there is some hand-drawn animation in this movie, uh, specifically the the tattoo on 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 Maui, ah. um, and that was hand-drawn by Eric Goldberg, very famous Disney animator who is most famous for doing the genie back in Aladdin. For the soundtrack for this movie, Disney wanted to combine traditional Southern Pacific culture with pop and Broadway sensibilities, which led to the hiring of Broadway playwright, songwriter, and composer Lin Manuel Miranda, who is 
obviously very famous now for Hamilton, but he was actually hired on this before he wrote, he he made Hamilton. Huh. It's kind of a nice coincidence that they were able to promote the movie with his name because Hamilton was kind of produced alongside of this and they, they just got lucky. Composer Mark Mancino was brought on board as well and a singer-songwriter named Opatai Fawai, who's also of Polynesian descent. So the three of them kind of just came together as this writing team. There's some really fun videos. Actually on Disney+, Plus. if you go to the little extras tab under Moana, there's a whole video about the making of the music with the three of them like just hanging out, writing songs together, which is really fun. Like I said, at the same time, Lin-Manuel Miranda was developing Hamilton, and so he recruited a number of his stars from the Broadway show to uh, record demos of the songs as he was writing them. So he was really doing these in tandem. Consider the coconut, the what? Consider its tree. We use each part of the coconut, it's all we need. And then Mark Mancina composed the score to the movie as well as helping with the songs. This is a very popular soundtrack. These songs definitely get stuck in my head. The album peaked at number two on the Billboard charts, which is pretty high for a, for a soundtrack. Um, How Far I'll Go appears during the film performed by the actress and during the credits performed by a Canadian singer-songwriter named Alicia Cara. I wish I could be the perfect daughter, but I come back to the water, no matter how hard I try. And then also in the credits, I believe you hear uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's version of You're Welcome, which he sings with Jordan Fisher. So what can I say except you're welcome for the tide, the sun, the sky. But Dwayne Johnson's version of You're Welcome actually hit the charts and made it up to number 83, which is also very high for a movie from, for a song from a movie. And from a, a song that The Rock is singing. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> There's also great footage. If you just search Moana behind the scenes on YouTube, there's some fun, really fun footage of him in the studio with Lin-Manuel Miranda recording the song, and he just seems to be having so much fun. What can I say except you're welcome for the tides, the sun, the sky. Hey, it's okay, it's okay, you're welcome. I'm just an ordinary um, a few random little facts about the di distribution of this movie. In Italy, the movie was called Oceana. There was speculation that they changed this title because there was an Italian adult film star named Moana Posey. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so because of that, they decided not to call the movie Moana in, in Italy. Whether it's uh, confirmed or not, there's no doubt that's why they did that. Right. Those would be some really, really confusing movie theaters. Yes. <laughs> they show up a very mixed crowd. <laughs> The movie premiered at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, as most of these Disney movies do, because Disney owns that theater, on November 14th, 2016. It was released uh, in the United States a few days later, on November 23rd, to very positive reviews. It uh, The majority of theaters screened this in 3D. It also played in 400 D-Box screens. Have you ever gone to a D-Box movie? No. It's with seats that like move <laughs> in sync with the... I don't think they're very common anymore. And it's not like it's not like you're at a Disney ride. It's like a nor fairly normal looking movie seat that just like can rock a little bit. Oh, that'd be annoying. And like has subwoofers built into it and it's, stuff. It's like one of those coasters at Dave and Buster's, right? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like Lazy Boys you get in there. And yeah. There's a theater that I frequent whenever I go to Michigan where my wife's family is that always kind of has cutting edge stuff and they had a d-box screen for a while and i never actually saw a movie in it but i did sit and they have like demo seats in the lobby oh okay where you can like watch trailers and they, it shows you what it's like it was not that great and it costs like 25 dollars to go to the movie and what's really weird is the, it's not the whole theater with those seats there's like three rows with the d-box seats 
but everyone else everyone else around you is sitting in a normal seat oh my <laughs> so, goodness and so there's like you know a, a third of the people in the theater like rocking and yelling right. and you know <laughs> the entire row in front of like, you is gyrating yeah and like two-thirds of everyone else in the room is just like sitting in a normal seat so i mean i never did it but it just the thought of that always cracked me up well i mean and forget eating and drinking at the movie theater if you've got those seats yeah right <laughs> The movie went on to gross over $690 million worldwide on its, what was its budget? 150-ish million dollar budget, so huge profit. The song How Far I'll Go was nominated for Golden Globe for original song and the Oscar for original song, but it did not win either of those. The Oscar went to City of Stars from La La Land, which I actually prefer the song Audition, which was also nominated from La La Land, but whatever. I'm incredibly surprised that they didn't campaign for your welcome. Cause I thought that's a, I think that's a way better song than it's, how far I'll go. It's but. the catchy one. Yeah, it is. It was also up for best animated feature in the Oscars that year, but it lost to Zootopia, which we talked about last week. It came out in the same year. Um, as far as theme parks go, they are actually building a Moana water interactive water experience at Epcot. So that's like the first big thing that's going to be Moana related. Um, but there have been like some Moana meet and greets and that sort of thing. Um, all right, that's all I got on the history of Moana. Before we dive in, David, do you have any more fun facts? A few. So originally Moana was going to be like a modern kid who's got teleported or time traveled to their ancient ancestors. So they're going to have like a cell phone and it was an idea that got scrapped. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't do that one. <laughs> Maui's hook was inspired by the constellation called Scorpio. I think it's nicknamed Maui's fish hook also in Polynesian culture. They did a lot, a lot of research into water and hair in water and got consultation from Pixar on how to animate water, which it definitely shows. The water looks amazing, absolutely amazing. amazing. I mean, all the animation does, but the water particularly stands out and how they interact with it and stuff. So definitely put a lot of time into that. And I mean, starting with like, I don't know, probably Tangled is when these movies started to look like Pixar quality. So that was 2012, so a few years before this. But I don't know. Disney hit their stride, I think, with, with these movies, the animation and even the stories. Like it, the, A lot of people get these movies confused with Pixar movies now when pre-Tangled they really didn't because they didn't look up to par with Pixar at all. Well, that has a lot to do, too, with Disney buying Pixar and sharing a lot of talent as well, especially as far as writers and directors go. I mean, John Lasseter was creative director of Pixar and Disney after they got bought out. So there's a lot of overlap of at least of executives making decisions, which probably makes the stories more Pixar like as well. Yeah. So Garrett, you mentioned on our home on the range episode, how much you enjoy this movie, but talk a little bit about your history with Moana. When did you first see it? Before watching again recently, what are sort of your your preconceived notions of this movie? So when you were going through its accolades, like just right now, I was going like, oh, really? I, I had no idea this was like a success, that this did good. <laughs> it passed on my radar. But then again, I, I was kind of not it, not following the Disney train for a long time. I mean, I had my kid growing up kind of was a baby, so she wasn't watching anything yet. And then we were given, she had a present, like a, a Disney microphone that sings the Moana song, How Far I'll Go. And none of us had seen Moana, and good Lord, she played that thing over and over and over again, of course, driving us crazy with it. And so we were eventually like, all right, well, we just got to get this movie. 
and she was just getting to the point where she was starting to sing along with it. So it was like the first song my daughter was like ever singing, hmm. like on her own. So it's just kind of like having those cute memories around it. And we were like, well, we haven't even seen this movie. So we finally got the movie for her, and that's just something that, you know, she's just enthralled with. She's four years old now, and that's her Disney movie. She's got the poster on the wall. She's got the Moana dolls. She sings all the songs. I mean, it definitely beats out Frozen, any of the classics. It's just her thing. But then watching it myself, it was kind of like my reintroduction to Disney. It was the first Disney movie I had seen in a long time, and I was really happy with it. I mean, I, I, I we can go into it more later, but that was kind of my leading up to it was just through my kid, through my daughter. And now it's just something that we're singing the song in the car. We got the soundtrack always playing. That's the, what she's always asking to hear. And yeah, so it's definitely become a family like installation. Could be worse. She could be obsessed with the black cauldron. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot that she could be obsessed with right now. <laughs> David, how about you? Had you seen Moana before? Yeah. Once before, I don't think I saw this one in theaters. It was a plane viewing or home viewing, but it was a while ago. I'd, I didn't remember everything from the movie, so just saw it again, second time. What about you? 2016, like we said, Zootopia and Moana both came out that year. I did not see Zootopia, but I definitely saw Moana, and I it, it had me at hello. <laughs> I've always been quite enthralled with this movie and really, really into the music. Most of the songs, just a couple I'm not a big fan. I'm not a huge fan of, but as a whole... I just think this movie is fantastic, so we will dive into that right now. Garrett, you've watched it again. Now that you're looking at it, maybe with a little bit more critical eye for this show, what is sort of your initial reaction upon an, another viewing? It's simple, and I really like how simple it is. I don't think that it's, there's no mega story. I mean, there's a there's a good drive to the narrative, but it's nothing. It's it's very um, I guess because it's set the setting is the islands, so it kind of has that feeling where it's it's just simple. There's not an overcomplication of things. There's her. There's her village. There's the adventure she goes on. That's that. There's not a ton of characters that they're trying to throw at you and be like, hey, look who we got the voice for for this goofy character. I didn't feel like I got any of that. So for me, it was super enjoyable to just have really like four four characters. You got Moana, you got Maui, you got Hey Hey, and then you got the tattoo on Maui. I don't really, I don't really count Moana's parents as characters. I guess her grandparent, her grandma would be one, pretty important. But yeah, you don't get to know the parents much, which is fine. And I kind of like that. I like it's just kind of centered around Moana and moving along with her. Yeah. So I mean, just for the beginning of how it was, yeah. how it was paced, and just that stuff. Definitely the music, as you said, is something that I just love it. I'm singing the songs, and it's just, I love the whole island theme that comes with it. I mean, it definitely gives me a, a rush to feeling like I was young again being back in. I've been to Fiji and Hawaii. I've oh, been, wow. been blessed to go to either of those places. And the people there do, they have a very big respect for the water. Like, I, you just learn that. And I definitely feel like there's something to that in this movie, too. You just can see and you get that feeling of kind of the culture they're trying to imbue it with and it's not in a cheesy way a lot of times i think disney tries the whole culture thing and it doesn't work out like it's just kind of like all right guys this wasn't in your wheelhouse and maybe you didn't recruit the right people for the writing team or it's like if you're going to get into that culture do it right and i definitely feel like they did with this in the music and the the whole feel of it yeah and just Despite Musker and Clements being two nerdy white men, they 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 brought the right people in to to help them and make and make sure this is accurate. David, how about you? You've watched it again. What do you think? I really enjoyed it from the top. I mentioned the animation; just it's a beautiful movie. 
Um, most of the songs are catchy. I wasn't a big fan of the crab song. That's probably the one scene where I was like, eh, I could pass on this. But the relationship with Moana and Maui, I thought was really strong. Like Maui is, he's kind of a jerk, but he's not big enough of a jerk where you like dislike him. He kind of makes it funny and playful. I feel like this, like a whole adventure story, like how it gets kicked off with her grandma dying and just her motivation to save her family was all really solid, good, a good motivation for her. And then I feel like, like towards the end when her and Maui have their differences and then he comes back to help her, I feel like there was a sort of a different twist than what we've seen. As we've mentioned a few movies in a row, it was like a villain twist. And I feel like some of the twists in this movie are a little more creative than that. So I don't know, overall, very, very solid. I think from a, I can say from just like a narrative perspective, what I enjoyed from the story is that like difference doesn't exactly mean division. And it's kind of something that's underground in this theme of like, you know, if you're Moana's whole feeling that different from her family doesn't exactly mean you have to go off and be separate from them. It can mean that and you can do that. But then there's always a way to tie things back in with where you're from. It doesn't have to mean this. I, my daughter sings this, the beginning lines all the time of like, I wish I was a perfect daughter. And she's just a kid. She doesn't know what she's singing. But then I always think about that of like, you know, that's that's what Moana's trying to be. She thinks that in order to be the perfect daughter, she has to, you know, just kind of fall in line and be this islander and I guess queen of her island, like not what she feels like she has to do. And then not not really seeing that like it doesn't have to be one or the other you can blend the two and it do difference doesn't mean that you have to divide and be two different camps but there's always a way to weave it together and sometimes you do have to go off on your own for a bit to kind of yeah. figure that out i like that aspect of this storyline because it's in the the roots of it and it's not just thrown in your face that part isn't like a it's not really noted that much it's just kind of in the theme of everything that you know, that's kind of what the grandma's telling her. I think the grandma you see yeah. is, is at the end of that, where the grandma took time of her own to just come back and be her own thing amongst the villagers, but without having to feeling like she's fallen in line and that wasn't her path. I like that. And I think an interesting thing, too, is her being a girl is not her crutch like a lot of times these movies are. Like, she could be a girl or a boy character wouldn't make a difference. Like, yep. she's a strong character. Yep. And, like, she's strong-willed and she's doing what she thinks is best. And, like, right. the fact that she is a female is irrelevant, which in a lot of these old Disney movies, that would be, like, the crux of the story. And I like that you kind of reach the point where it can just be integrated like that without it being yeah. a huge narrative point. And it can yeah. just be fluidly like, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, she's an incredible character. I agree. I mean, I've, if, if you go through every episode of Disney one by one, you could probably find me mentioning, mentioning Moana in most episodes. You can just cut <laughs> it together and that'd probably be my opinion on this movie because um, I feel like I mentioned it a lot. I really like this. I think this was in my top five when our initial ranking. I'm curious how it'll fall now after we've gone through all these. Crazy. So I'd love to just like talk through some of the scenes of this movie. Yeah. The first just like astonishing scene is when the little baby walks out to the water and it begins to interact with her. I mean, we were talking about the quality of the animation, but it is just like, it's astounding. Music that goes with that too, that's the... I forget the, the name of that track, but it's a lot of voices kind of doing the hum. Yeah. It's, it is. It's captivating. It's really, really, really well done. I mean, any shot where there's like a background 
that's like the ocean or foliage or trees or anything. It looks real when yes, you pause it. it. It's insane. <laughs> I don't get it. How can they can do that in computers? And none of it is. I mean, it's the same with like whether you like the movie or not, which I didn't really think it was it was worth it. But the new Lion King movie, the Favreau Lion King movie, I agree, is incredible. Like how real that stuff looks. Seamless. You forget what you're watching for a bit. I think the movie is pointless. But nothing. It was nothing in that movie is real. It's it's crazy, man. That's crazy. I've been saying with Moana, it's all made in computers. I noticed on her skin, even at some points, like you could see like blood vessels under her skin, like the, the, <laughs> the detail and the character models too was crazy. And the backgrounds are obvious, but in these movies, they make humans, it's like nice to look at because it's not at that point where they're like too real or it looks weird. Right. What's that called? Well, there's the, they're not, they haven't reached the uncanny yeah, valley. Uncanny valley. <laughs> So they're keeping them cartoony, so it still looks like a cartoon, but a very beautiful cartoon. Yeah. Moana, come on. Let's go back to the village. And then we quickly move into what actually may be my favorite song is the is Where You Are. So good. Yeah. Sort of the growing up montage. Make way, make way Moana, it's time you knew The village of Motunui is all you need But it has so much energy. This is, I remember sitting in the theater and seeing this, getting to this scene. Well, first they start off with that water scene and it's like, holy crap, like how do they make this? And then this song starts. It is so catchy and so much fun and there's so much going on. That I just remember, I remember just a giant smile on my face the first time I saw this and just be like, wow, this is, I, I'm, I'm loving this already and we are seven minutes in. come back from the sea. Don't walk away. Moana, stay on the ground now. Our people will need a chief and there you are. You know, it reminded me of the Beauty and the Beast, the very first scene where she's walking through the village, where yeah. it just felt bonjour. like, yeah, bonjour. bonjour. Yeah. I can't believe I can't remember the name of that song. but I think it's just called Belle. Belle? Yeah. <laughs> but it reminded me of that, just in it's like, it's you're introducing to the village in a very, like, just happy and bright way. There, It was good. It was a good intro. It definitely is the song that we're singing more than more than any of the other ones in the yeah, car. I mean, and I love the lines about, we build our nets from the fibers, the water does eat inside. I don't know. I, I need to learn all the lyrics by heart. But. That's basically what they're talking about. They talk about everything that they're doing, like how they just live on that island. Everything. Right. You're learning all a ton about their culture while just enjoying this really, really fun song. All the simplistic things, yeah, that they do. It's really cool. While watching Moana grow up. Yeah, it's an incredible sequence. Consider the coconut. Consider its trees. Each part of the coconut. That's all we need. We make our nets from the fibers, the water is sweet inside, we use the leaves to build fires, cook up the meat inside. What's sort of the next big thing? She goes out on the boat. Her, her grandma transforming into the, oh, yeah. uh, what are those called, manta ray, right? Yeah, sure, stingray, manta stingray. ray. Stingray. I thought that was, I forgot that that happened, so when it happened and then kind of following her throughout the movie as the water, not necessarily the manta ray, I felt yeah. like it's, that was a really solid, like, that was a character. She might be my favorite character in this movie. She's so loving and so caring and so funny, and her voice is so charming. I love when she sings. Yeah. Um, she does a little reprise of one of the songs. Well, she's like in, you, she sings in the Where You Are. She, yeah. She has a time in that. 
Okay, is that at the end? But there's the part where she's like, you are your father's daughter. Is your that, stubbornness and pride. Yeah, is that there? Yeah, yeah that's in that just, one. That's in that one, yeah. It's just such a great, like, grandma grandma voice. She's like a just, Mother so, Willow. Like a, yeah, exactly. She sounds a lot like Mother Willow, actually. That, that's, that's a very good comparison from Pocahontas is what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. You are your father's daughter. Stubbornness and pride. Mind what he says, but remember, you may hear a voice inside. And if the voice starts to whisper, to follow the father's star, Moana, that voice inside is who you are. Um, yeah, and then her death scene is like the most beautiful death you've ever seen. Yeah, because they don't, they don't, like some, they do, Disney does death sometimes in a very over tragic way, but this was kind of just a, it was graceful. Yep. But they also do yeah, the, 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 you know, she's always with her. Like, you know, they kind of transform her spirit into something. So you kind of get that culture vibe that they get with that, where it's like, they're not really gone. They're still, mm-hmm. they're still there with mm-hmm. them. So you mm-hmm. definitely got that feeling with it. Cause I didn't really feel like she died when she did. It just was yeah. kind of a, her body was gone. Just like the neon, the neon glow of the of the ghostly manta ray, it's it's it's, it's amazing. See that? Animation. I would have liked to see that in theaters. I feel like there there are scenes <laughs> in this movie that would have been cool to see in a really dark room in a big screen. Then we get to see kind of the history of this village of this island and with a uh, oh way oh way oh buddy but da da da. This might be my that might be my favorite song. And in that feature I was talking about on, on Disney Plus about the music, this was the first song that the three guys wrote together. They're just in a room, they just start chanting, and they are like banging on the table and start writing the song, which is which is pretty fun. And then Moana sets off, and we meet Maui pretty quickly, and we get You're Welcome, which, as we mentioned, is a very, very fun song. It's great. Anything Dwayne does is great, from Skyscraper to Moana. He, he can do it all. <laughs> I never would have thought. <laughs> and I love how we get the sort of Disney musical deal where it kind of goes crazy. You leave this, you leave the scene where you are, the location where you are, and you get these fun animations. It was very like, I just can't wait to be king. Yeah. When Simba's singing and you just start bringing in all the colors and all the, you know, the animals start doing things they're not actually supposed to do, but it just, it adds so much life to it. And, you know, we get these, these backgrounds and these 2D animated characters. And as he's a, uh, explaining about sprouting a tree and getting coconuts. Well, like, what a, what a fun premise for a song of a demigod explaining to his creation everything that he's done for him and how he did it and all the yeah. interesting ways he created all this stuff. Yeah, it's just lyrically, the premise is just hilarious. Like, it's good. It's just so well done. Well, come to think of it, kid, honestly, I could go on and on. I could explain every natural phenomenon. The tide, the grass, the ground. Oh, that was Maui just messing around. I killed an eel. I buried its guts. Sprouted a tree. Now you got coconuts. What? The lesson, what is the takeaway? Don't mess with Maui when he's on a breakaway. And the tapestry here in my skin is a map of the victories I win. Look where I've been, I make everything happen. Look at that me, 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 Maui. Just look at the tap. Hey, 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 hey. 
and don't mess with Maui when he's on a breakaway. <laughs> he like slam dunks some like dragon creature <laughs> yeah, into the some creature you... <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you. We we meet Minnie Maui on him and then uh then comes the coconuts. One of the greatest Disney sequences in, in history. Kakamora. Kaka what? Murdering little pirates. Wonder what they're here for. <laughs> I feel like there could be a whole video game designer on these characters. Oh, oh absolutely. Like, like a Nintendo game of some sort. Well, I told you guys on the last episode, I played the Kingdom Hearts series of video games where they incorporate Disney movies. And as I was watching this, I was thinking the whole time, Hmm. good, I would love to play through this. Like this is even Tefiti at the end, like in terms of a final boss and what that game does in terms of their final bosses. It's just a big blown thing. It was like, oh man, this would be perfect. I wish. I mean, Maui fights the guy with his hook. He can fight him with the key. (laughs) 100%. I mean, they have it all right there. Well, and uh, Mad Max Fury Road came out in 2015, and this is clearly <laughs> a tribute to that movie in more than one way, Mr. which Gray. is so incredible that, that Disney can tribute George Miller and Mad Max. But there's even a very brief music cue. Precisely ripped off of Mad Max, and I remember hearing it for the first time and just cracking huh. up. I'm like, they are doing this, and this is incredible. And like the coconuts hitting the drum, to, that it's like cueing the music, and they're blowing the horn. That's all so, so Mad Max, which is just, and then just I the, love it. The ship emerging on them, yeah, yeah. just had that whole. I love it so much, it. and breaking into three and all this. Oh stuff. my yeah. goodness! And then we go down into the I don't know, what do they call it? What's the underwater realm with the crab? It translates into into below the sea. Okay, it was on one of the fun fact lists. Okay, I'm also not a huge fan of the sequence. I don't really know why. Actually, I liked it better this time around. But but the all the glowing stuff, just like the design of this world, it was very like Avatar esque. It's so cool and so kind of trippy. Very black light. It's like there's black lights on underwater. I really like the design of that. That mask that actually genuinely tripped me out. There's a point when you're down there and they just are kind of doing a pan shot of all that crazy stuff. And then they just, there's like in in the middle of the scenery, like you don't even notice it. He's just sitting there and then he turns around and you just see the eyes and then he kind of crawls at her. It's, it's right before she gets scared into the shell where the the big crab guy is but it's like right when she gets down there they do that and there's like a crazy mask thing it reminds me of majora's mask from the legend mm. of zelda theories yeah but it just appears and happens so quick and they don't do anything like that in the whole movie oh it's so freaky you guys don't remember that you don't have a mental image of that yeah i just found the the clip the forearm it's like a pink mask and then yeah. he appears and then it just turns around and yeah it's so shocking <laughs> they got me all i'm doing is i'm admitting that they got me on that i remember it jumped like 10 feet when they did that and then we get jermaine clement and shiny which is very much like a david bowie tribute is that what you would call it i, I would yeah yeah well Tomatoa hasn't always been this glam i was a drab little crab once now I know I can be happy as a clam because I'm beautiful, baby. It's it's fun. I don't really like the song that much, but it's 
It's a good bad guy song. Um, is he a bad guy? I couldn't figure that out. He's just kind of a he's just kind of a greedy loner. I don't know. I wouldn't put it in the top ten bad guy Disney songs. No, it's not a good song. I mean, it's just, it just <laughs> it's works. It's funny though. I think it's it funny. works. It's meant to be funny. I mean, he has it has lines that my kids will repeat that are the most hilarious. Free food. I think you just you just smell like seafood. You just smell like seafood. Yeah. Uh, what is it? The rip it. Oh, like a shiny, like a, a grandma's necklace or something like that. Like a, like a pearl, <laughs> a pearl from a rich lady's necklace. Yeah. It's the song I've listened to the least, so yeah, I don't absolutely. I don't know the lyrics to it. You'll never be quite as shiny. You wish you were nice and shiny. And then if there's any gripe I have with this movie, any negative, it'd be I feel like the next 10, 15 minutes drags a little bit. They're on the boat a lot, and he's turning into animals a lot, and then the water's there. I mean, I guess the grandma comes back, but I feel like, I mean, this movie is an hour and 45 minutes. I bet if they figured out, I bet they could cut 10 to 15, and it would still basically be the same, and it would just be paced a little bit better. True. Because there's only some, I mean, you really, you have two speaking characters here. You have Maui I mean, and you have Moana. There's a little growth that happens on that boat, but it's like the relationship kind of is the same back and forth the entire way until the end. I don't know. I was just going to say, I feel like the most development between them happens in that 10 minutes. And it kind of sets up the last battle for him to come back and save her. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they could have cut some of that out. Well, this time around, I just felt like it dragged a little bit at that point. Like It's so just, there's so many good fun exciting things that happened for like the first hour i guess they need to slow down a little bit but there are a few moments that is that the been. point that the point that Maui's a little bit more like defeated like just kind of like done yeah okay yeah, yeah. and she yeah. sings the reprise of the song yeah you do get a reprise i think you get a reprise from grandma there though which is nice the people you love will change you the things you have learned will guide you and nothing on earth can silence the quiet voice still inside you and when that voice starts to whisper Moana you've come so far Moana listen do you know who you are yeah and then the big grand conclusion with the fire monster and the <laughs> the grass lady and uh, she saves the day saves the village it worked and uh yeah, the monster becoming good. I didn't think that was going to happen. So hmm. I don't know. I the, during the is that the, is that the reverse Disney bad guy kind trope? Of, yeah, I mean, I should have known from the prologue like they stole her heart and everything, but I wasn't putting two and two together. So when she gave the goddess or whatever she's called back her heart and turned good, I was like, oh, that's kind of a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, that was like an hour and a half back. So yeah, and it's yeah. like you know they didn't. It wasn't overcomplicated either like there wasn't a whole like element of mystery building up to that point like that was kind of just a point that happened at the end like like you're saying i don't think you were meant to put that together like when you the heart of i don't think that was maybe that was something that like they were kind of throwing in and you're supposed to know that that's the home this the, the stone is the heart of defeaty so it's like that's the person that's gonna transform or save the day at the end or whatever i don't yeah. think it it took me off guard too, but I liked it. I definitely liked yeah. it. She was very forgiving of Maui for stealing it. Yeah. She even gave him his little hook hook back. I would have been a lot more pissed. It was like 
thousands of years or something that she was turned into <laughs> fire creature. All happy in the end. So uh, we'll start wrapping this up. Garrett, we need a rating system specific to Moana. Mm. So give us something we can rate this movie out of. Hey, Hayes. All right. What's how, out of how many? Uh, ten. All right. Yeah. So you can start us off out of out of ten. Hey, Hayes. What would you give Moana and give us your final thoughts? I'm gonna give it nine out of ten. Hey, Hayes, because I barely can ever call anything perfect, but this this definitely gets up there. I guess I'll give it a ten out of ten with my kids involved too, because it's <laughs> my kids' favorite movie. It's the first movie that m- me and my kids all gelled with. We sing the songs. I mean it. In terms of what Disney movies are for my family when I was young, this is the first one that now I've had with my kids together. So, Okay, David, out of 10 Hey Hey's, what do you give Moana? I think I have to go with like an 8.65 out of 10. Final thoughts? I don't know. I, there's not anything glaring that I dislike about it, but it's not <laughs> like my favorite movie ever, so I can't, I can't give it a 10. I feel I feel like it's on par with like how much I like Zootopia and a couple of other more recent ones, at which I gave around a nine or high eighties. So that's my reasoning. <laughs> Mike, what's your rating? I'm gonna go nine out of ten. Hey, Hayes as well. It's not perfect. Perfect. I don't love all the songs. Like I said, there's a few minutes I'd probably cut, but this movie is so good, and the animation is just astounding. Most of the music is incredible. They do things we haven't seen before. It's the return to the Disney musical that we haven't had in many years, which I, which I, which always puts it up a notch for me. Not to mention the songs are so catchy and so much fun. We uh, definitely, I'm definitely playing them around around the house. So my my one and a half year old will will soon become like Tom's four year old. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully, that's awesome. There could be worse things. I'm going to keep her away from Frozen. I'm not a big. Well, that's the Frozen. thing is, I'm only going to let. <laughs> I'm only like really giving her the stuff. She, yeah, I've kept her away from Frozen. She doesn't <laughs> know it. I'm so proud that she doesn't know it. And now there's a second one to deal with. She actually saw the second one and not the first one. So she doesn't know Let It Go, but she knows some of these other... Into the Unknown. Yeah, I got to say, a little more catchy songs from the second one, I think. All right. At least to hear my daughter sing. Yeah. I can't believe this came out the same year as Utopia. It's crazy that they would do that. It's very different, but it's... It's so different. It's it's also really good. So what's next after Moana? Next is Ralph Breaks the Internet, and then Frozen 2, and then we're done. Okay. So this was actually, oh. this is the more recent realm that's that's good that yep. I didn't know of. Yep. Wreck-It Ralph I have not seen. Or Wait, what is it? Ralph Breaks Ralph the Internet. Ralph Breaks the Internet is the second the one. The second one. I haven't seen either of those, yeah. but I've heard it's really good. So They're fun. With that, we'll end this show. Remember, you can find us everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1. Please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts, because we're almost done. <laughs> and uh, again... You can go back in our back catalog, go back on Disney Plus and find most of these movies to watch and 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 listen along. And uh, we are going to do some sort of wrap-up episode after Frozen 2, sort of our final thoughts, some countdown lists and that sort of thing. I'd love to get some messages from you listeners. If you listen to the show and you like it, feel free to record a little message about your favorite moment, your favorite episode, your favorite joke, your favorite host. <laughs> And uh, you can email it to us at Disney1x1 at gmail.com. If we get a few of them, I'll uh, stick them on the end of that show. So it'll be fun to hear from you. Just record a message on your phone, and you can email it to us. So with that, uh, Garrett Henry, thank you so much for joining us today on Disney One by One. It's been a pleasure. And David, it is a pleasure as always. 
You may hear a voice inside, and if that voice starts to whisper to follow the farthest star, then it is inside you. That's Grandma's part. That's so nice. Yes. Aww. Bye. All right. We'll see you next. We'll see you next week with uh, Ralph breaks the internet. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. <laughs>